Our meditation for this third Sunday after Trinity is on our Gospel reading. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. Hear the word of our Lord. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing, and when he comes home he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost." Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the gospel of our Lord. God be praised for his glad tidings. Now, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our Lord Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. What does that mean? No, really, what do we mean when we say that Jesus spent time with the lowest of the low in Judean society? Depending on who you ask, the purpose will be understood differently. But typically, when you hear them explain why Jesus spent time with low lowlifes, you won't hear why, instead you will hear an agenda. Before exploring that, let us be clear that the type of people our Lord spent time with were lowlifes. In Roman Judea, tax collectors were hired from among a conquered people to gather resources off the backs of the oppressed. Not only that, but a tax collector was not hired. He had to purchase the position from the Roman authorities. Why was this? Because a tax collector had no salary. His wages were whatever he took from the people in addition to what the empire required. In other words, tax collectors were guaranteed riches at the expense of their people. They were wealthy traders with official status and a military to back them up. As far as sinners go in the tax collectors and sinners equation, the term sinners is a bit hard to pin down. Now certainly we know that every man, woman, and child on this earth is a sinner, but it is the Pharisees who are calling these other people sinners. What do they mean by sinners? They did not mean this in the way that we would, 
we see it as universal, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3 verse 23. But for a Pharisee, for a scribe, the idea of a sinner is one who is not doing and thinking as the Pharisees do. Whoever it is and however they live, the sinner is most likely someone who does not bother with the rules and regulations and traditions of the elders. Because they are not careful to obey the law, they are amoral at best and immoral at worst as far as the Pharisees are concerned. Thus, the term sinner could describe anything from a day laborer who didn't attend synagogue to a flagrant prostitute. To be fair, they, the Pharisees and the scribes, have a point. Christians rightly do not hesitate to say that we are poor, miserable sinners in need of a savior, but at the same time, we rightly condemn the wickedness of the world those who care not to please God nor repent of their sins. But the Pharisees held no hope for the poor sinner, and nor did they permit themselves to associate with them. So why did our Lord Jesus spend time with tax collectors and sinners? The more socially liberal among us seem to believe that Jesus had no problem with sin, so he had no problem with sinners. When it comes to sexual sins and financial sins, these types are happy to tell you that they either have nothing to repent of or that they will stop their sins after they have experienced enough grace. In other words, they are under the impression that if what these sinners are doing is sinful, then Jesus will prove himself enough to earn their faith and reform their character. Maybe. Because Jesus just doesn't mind sin. Well, not all sin, anyway. They certainly believe that bigotry and judging people are unacceptable. Oh, Jesus would never hang out with a bigot, let alone love them for any reason. In fact, whenever a church kicks out a bigot, Jesus cheers because they're all impenitent sinners by definition and should probably suffer extreme violence. You know, because superheroes hate Nazis or something. Clearly, the liberal has a desire that lustful and greedy and alcoholic or slothful sins should be tolerated entirely, while the quote-unquote conservative sins are unforgivable. Jesus just likes hookers and traitors, I guess. On the other hand, there are people of a more conservative persuasion, quote-unquote, who seem to wish this passage did not exist. The moment you mention how Christ spent time with sinners, they fire off the retort that, oh, Jesus always told people to repent. They're locked and loaded with a refusal to absorb what is really happening. They desire that Christ should be the shouting preacher reading off sinners in the hands of an angry God to all these disgusting degenerates around us. They hate these people, so they expect Jesus to hate them while they urge you to hate them too. 
An entire doctrine concerning this, called reprobation, has been formulated by certain parties to proclaim that there is a point of no return when it comes to sin, where the free offer of salvation is taken away. And oh look, all the people our Lord spoke to just so happened to be in that category, so we just don't know why Jesus spoke to them at all. Typically, this false doctrine of reprobation is leveled only at those committing sexual sins or those with left-leaning, betray-your-own-people politics. Go figure. I guess to these people, Jesus was just biding his time telling people that they were going to hell and that there was nothing they could do to stop it. Both of these answers betray a Pharisaic impulse in us. On the one hand, our Lord condemns the Pharisees for their hypocrisy constantly throughout the Gospels. The religious leaders wanted antinomianism for themselves, where they could do mental gymnastics to get around the law's commands, while they also required strict and unbending law observance from the people. This is how it is with the liberal who proclaims Jesus just loved sinners and most sins are okay, but don't you dare judge anyone. They want freedom for their degeneracy, but strict moral codes for people who dare to try and obey God. Meanwhile, the us-versus-them attitude of the Pharisees is reflected in those who simply want to be angry all the time. By immediately retorting that repentance was required of tax collectors and sinners and formulating doctrines that damn most of humanity as reprobate, they show their hand. Like the Pharisees, all they care about is their social club churches and being superior to others. The sad thing is, this matter has been polarizing for so many centuries but few of us sit back and simply take Christ at his word. Why don't we let our Lord answer the question and lay aside our personal biases for a moment? In our gospel reading, in fact the bulk of Luke chapter 15, our Lord Jesus gives us a series of analogies to make his point and explain his behavior. The first being a parable of a hundred sheep and one being lost explains his care for those who drift. The second, a woman who has ten silver coins but loses one, explains his care for those who fall through the cracks. The third, which is for another time, is his care for those who openly rebel against him with the prodigal son. All three of these illustrations concern those who at one point were in his possession. His answer is about those who belong to him in the first place and somehow end up going away. It is not about those who are unconverted, unregenerate, or in open disbelief from their birth. Quote, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? 
The sheep was in the fold, but strayed. How many of us have seen children go to college only to find them carried about by the winds of sinful, worldly company until their faith is mangled and their behavior ugly? How many of us have seen that good Christian man who starts to miss church services so he can watch football games, and the next time we see him, he swears like a sailor and smells like old beer? A sheep is not lost by getting spirited away, so much as a sheep is lost because it wanders, and our Lord Jesus says that he seeks them. So he spends time with the sinners who wandered. Quote, or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? It might sound fatalistic to compare a backslider to an inanimate object, but it is certainly true at times. People can fall through the cracks, and their faith can be damaged on account of factors outside their control. Do we blame a young woman for walking away from church after being molested by the youth pastor? Do we blame a soldier who is taken off to deployment and not allowed to have his Bible or chaplain assistance while he goes off to war? Neither of these should have the blame for their drift laid entirely on their shoulders. Other factors were at play, like a coin falling behind a dresser in the middle of the night. But our Lord Christ values those who are his. So he seeks them even when they are marred by their circumstances. Regarding the parable of the prodigal son, it is true that it is not part of our reading today. But may I remind you that the father of the prodigal son waits for his son to come to his senses. Christ did not actively seek those who were in open, flagrant rebellion against God. But some of the tax collectors and sinners who came to him were just like the prodigal son. They had come to their senses and were seeking Jesus to be healed from their lives of sin. And he welcomes them with open arms because he loves them. So our Lord Jesus spent time with tax collectors and sinners. Not because he was fine with sin, and not because he just wanted to condemn them, but because he has compassion on those who wander, those who fall through the cracks, and those who come to him in penitent faith. It brings our Lord and all in heaven great joy to see his children return to him. He says in the 7th and 10th verse, just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Dear sinner raised in the church, Christ is calling you home. Dear sinner who has strayed from word and sacrament, Christ seeks you, and all steadfast believers do well to seek you too. Godly men and women everywhere rejoice to see you return, that you may not die along with those who never knew God in the first place. 
Rejoice that our Lord calls you to remember that he died for you, to remember your baptism that makes you a part of his family, and that his blood covers the sins which dragged you away from the fold. And all believers rejoice to see you come back. Now the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guards your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.